Hello, and welcome to the Future Christian Podcast, your source for insights and ideas into what it means to live as a follower of Jesus in the 21st century. At the Future Christian Podcast, we talk to pastors, authors, and other faith leaders for helpful advice and practical wisdom to help you and your community of faith walk boldly into the future. Here's your host, Lauren Richmond Jr. Hey, and thanks for listening in to the Future Christian Podcast. My name is Lauren Richmond Jr., and I'm pleased to be joined by Reverend Nicole Garcia. Hello. Hello, Lauren. Yeah. Hello. Thanks for being here today, and welcome. Uh, let me read. Nicole is the... Uh, She's been called to the by the Rocky Mountain Synod Council. She's pastor of mission developer at Westview Church, a worshiping community in Boulder, Colorado. She is a Master Divinity from Luther Seminary in St. Paul, Minnesota, and a MA in counseling from CU Denver. She's a licensed professional counselor in Colorado and serves uh, part-time in that capacity. Uh, let me ask you that question right off the bat, if I can. Do you, um, so you still serve or you still work as a part-time counselor now? Um, yes, I do. I am actually affiliated with a group called the Umbrella Collective, uh-huh. and um, we we serve primarily the LGBTQ plus community, and we also take Medicaid. So uh-huh. um, it's always been my desire to always serve an underserved population, and by taking Medicaid clients, I feel that I meet that need. Yeah, awesome. Well, what else would you like our hearers, our listeners, to know about you? Well, I was born and raised here in Boulder, Colorado, and mm-hmm. um, I'm actually um, sitting in my office at my church at Westview Church on the east side of Boulder. And so as I look out my window, I have a beautiful view of the Flatirons and the Rocky Mountains. So it's wonderful to be called to serve in my hometown. Yeah, great, great. Um, yeah, talk about, uh, talk about your story, your, your journey of faith, that kind of thing. Well, I was raised in uh, the Roman Catholic Church, so um, my last name is Garcia, so I have, Mm -hmm. my mother would call us Spanish and Italian. So I have a great-grandfather who immigrated from Italy in the 1870s, who settled in southern Colorado. Um, My mother's, he married someone who was Spanish, who can trace her roots back to the early conquistadores back in Taos, Mexico, um, back into the 1660s. So we go a long time back in in here in southern Colorado. During the Depression, my uh, grandparents moved up to the Boulder Valley area, where Grandpa Mm -hmm. worked as a coal miner and as a um, farmer. Mm-hmm. And um, so our family has deep roots here in Boulder County. Um, so I was raised in the Roman Catholic Church and was a very, mm-hmm. very good Catholic boy. I loved going to church. Um, yeah. And it was always I went to church with Mama and, and my aunts and my grandmothers. And one of the first sets of prayers that I learned was the rosary. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, I was born on December 12th. Um, and for those of you who know, December 12th is a feast day of La Virgen de Guadalupe. And so okay. I have always been fiercely devoted to Guadalupe. In fact, her picture, her image is right above my desk as I'm staring at her now with wow. a cross over to one side. Um, yeah. And every, every year this year, as um, uh, December 12th approaches, I always preach on Guadalupe no matter where I'm serving or where I'm hmm. invited. December, so you're working on, on that on December 12th. Yeah, I'm sorry to interrupt. Uh, I was just thinking as we're recording this, it's the end of November, so you're you're coming up on that soon. Coming up on that in a few weeks. So in a few yeah. weeks, I'll be coming up on my 61st birthday. Wow. And so during my my time on this earth, I have um, worked in retail management. I worked as a corrections officer. I worked as a parole officer for the state. I've worked as a therapist and I'm right now I'm working as a therapist and the pastor mm-hmm. um, of a, a, a evangelical Lutheran church in America, ELCA church. Mm-hmm. So I've really gotten around um, in the world. Yeah. Tell me in, in well, if we can if we can fit it in here, tell me about how your faith has changed or developed 
over the years? Um, and I must say, I have always loved what we call high church, like the Catholic liturgy. I sure, love the, yeah. the framework. Um, honestly, I love the, the crossing and the kneeling. And um, it's always brought me comfort um, in very uncomfortable times to have the uh, liturgy as a part of my life. And yeah. that is that is growing up in the Roman Catholic Church. And I was such a good Catholic kid um, growing up in high school and um, in college in the late 70s, early 80s. It was post-Vatican II and guitar masses were all the rage. And so guitar I played guitar. Interesting. Oh, yeah. So I played in the bilingual choir. I played in the folk uh, group choir. So it was nothing for me to go to church two or three times in a weekend. And wow. if there was a wedding or a quinceanera, I would go to church four or five times in a weekend. And I love church. But it's when I entered CU Boulder in, um, I started CU Boulder in 78. And by um, the end of my tenure at CU in 1982, I had come to the realization that um, I was Catholic, not because of my faith, but because of the colonization and the doctrine of discovery, that mm. all of my people were forced to be Catholic. And I really took a really close look at the hierarchy, the structure of the church, um, the, what we were being taught, and realized that I didn't want to be colonized anymore. Mm -hmm. Plus, I was also having this um, argument with God. Um, I never felt comfortable in my own skin. I never felt like I could do what my male cousins were doing. I was much more comfortable with my, with my grandmother, my aunts, and my sisters, and my female cousins. And I was always getting chastised for being in the kitchen rather than sitting in the living room watching football with the mm -hmm. guys. Um, and I just, I, I was mad at God and I was praying and praying and praying for God to fix me. And so by in my early 20s, 22, 23, I realized that God hadn't answered my prayers, that the church I was affiliated with had forced me into the belief structure that I, that was, that I held that was forced upon me. And so I basically turned my back on the church and God. And um, I, I wandered around Boulder, basically um, a wild child after I left the church in the 80s and um, ended up being, um, a, a, I, I was a heavy drinker, yeah. alcoholic. And so in 89, when I was living in the back of one of my cousin's trailers um, and then ended up in detox, I realized my life had gone terribly wrong. And mm. so that was my first foray into AA. And basically, one of, the, one of the first things you have to do when you enter AA is, you know, believe in God, have this developed relationship with God. So I basically said, okay, I, I still believe in you, and I will come back, but I'm not going back to church. Forget that. Mm, okay. um, but I will grudgingly believe that you were active in my life, as long as it was on my terms. Yeah. And so... Um, I got sober. I, I was work, working in a management program for a, a national retailer. I found a beautiful woman and we fell in love and I got married. Yeah. And she wanted to get married in the Catholic Church. So I went through the pre-Cana classes with a priest who I think went to school with Moses. <laughs> you know, he was just, you know, a nice enough guy, but he was older and dirt. And I'm like, what could he ever teach me about being married? But it was a requirement. I did it, had a beautiful big church wedding and um, settled down and thought that my wife, now that I was married, that it would fix me. Every, all my problems, my issues would go away. And then um, I decided, well, I'll go a step farther. I'll get a man's job. And so um, I got my certification as a police officer and the first department that hired me was the Colorado Department of Corrections. So I ended up working in a state prison as a corrections officer. And I did that um, for five years. 
And right off the bat, I found somebody to model myself after. One of the sergeants was a former Marine gunnery sergeant, and Gunny taught me how to walk, how to talk, how to wear my uniforms, how to gain compliance from people who didn't want to comply. I became an officer's officer. Wow. But at the end of the day, after I took off that uniform, I was done. It was hard putting on a performance, you know, eight, 10 hours a day. And so I slowly started drinking again, just to relax and just to unwind. Yeah. Um, and after five years, I thought, well, enough of prison. I w was able to transfer out and got a job as a parole officer. And then wife decided that she didn't want to be married to an angry drunk man and i blamed mm. her for everything that was going on in my life it was all her fault couldn't possibly be me so within you know 90 days 90 dollars later we divorced and i moved into a new house and within a within about a month or so i'm sitting there at my in my living room after drinking half a bottle of jack daniels wondering if i should go get my gun and blow my brains out because i couldn't wow. do it anymore and that's when I came back to Jesus. I said, you know, if I'm going to come back, then you better step it up this time. <laughs> and within a couple days, um, you know, I was sitting at my computer and I got a message that said, you know, the Colorado State Assistance, um, Assistance Employee Assistance Program said, because uh, this was right around uh, the holidays, right around this time of year. Yeah. In 2002. And... It said if you are if you are depressed, if you are suicidal, if you're abusing um, substances, then come on in and get some free therapy. And I thought, geez, you work fast. So with, within a week, I was um, seeing a therapist. And a few weeks later, she said, you need some long-term care. And so I found another uh, therapist through my um, insurance. And this therapist was just wonderful. I felt comfortable. I opened up. I quit drinking. We started working on my depression and my anxiety. Um, and then I told her within about a month that, um, you know, one underlying problem that has been haunting me for my entire life is that I always liked wearing women's clothing. Mm -hmm. And so she referred me to a place called the Gender Identity Center of Colorado. Uh, I started going to support groups. Uh, about being a cross-dresser, a male who wears women's clothing, because that's pretty much where I thought I fit. Mm -hmm. And then I ended up going to uh, a conference. And lo and behold, there were like 250 people around me who were just like me. Hmm. And I sat in on this uh, workshop for transsexuals. I didn't think it was me, but there was nothing else that, that was you know, worth looking at. And all of a sudden I heard my story hmm. that ever since I can remember, I never knew how to be a man. I, it never came natural. I was always being scolded for being with the women instead of the men. I was always a little bit too feminine in the way I presented, the way I talked, the way I, I wrote. Everything I did didn't point towards me being the man of the family, hmm. um, even though I tried so hard to do what I was, I thought I was supposed to do. And it was in that workshop that it totally occurred to me and came to me that I've always been a woman. Hmm. I pretended to be a man for 42 years and I ended up angry, depressed, suicidal, and an alcoholic. Yeah. So it was right after that, um, went back into sobriety and then um, started transitioning. And so, um, 2003, I started my, started hormones, 2005, I had surgery. And, um, during that time I, I stayed with parole. I moved into administrative position and completed my gender transition. And by 2006, I went back out onto the streets, quote unquote, um, worked as a parole officer. But I realized not long after that, that um, I, I went into law enforcement to prove to myself that I was a man and it didn't work. And um, I, you know, the, it was a really good job. I was fairly good at it, mm -hmm. but it wasn't fulfilling. Yeah. But the part of the job that I loved doing 
was working with the offenders. And so I started thinking about, well, what else can I do? And I found a um, master's program in counseling at CU Denver that fit my schedule. It was close to my office. And so I started going part-time, taking two classes a semester, working full-time as a PO, went back mm -hmm. to an administrative position to, to make my hours a little bit more settled. Yeah. And um, in August of 2009, I started working on a master's in counseling. Um, now, I'm going to scoot back a little bit to, to 2003 because... Early in my transition, I told one of my friends that I'd met at the the, uh, the workshop that I uh, that I had uh, spoken about just a, a minute ago, and we were had a lot in common. Renee had a lot in common because we were both in law enforcement, and we we're both early in our transition, and so we were. I was talking to her all the time, and I said, "You know, I had this reawakening of my faith." Oh, and but I don't think no. I know I can't go back to the Roman Catholic Church, hmm. not necessarily because I was trans, but because I was divorced. Yeah. And so um, she, she said, well, you should try this church that I found in downtown Denver, St. Paul's Lutheran Church. And they're open and they're welcoming. Of course, I said no. Yeah. Because I couldn't go to a church of the excommunicated heretical Catholic priest, Martin Luther. And after the third time she asked me, I thought, well, maybe I should get over myself and start <laughs> listening. And so I walked into St. Paul one Sunday morning. And this in early in my transition, my therapist said, anytime I wasn't at work, I was to present and live as Nicole. Mm -hmm. So I put on the nicest outfit that I had, um, put on... All the, you know, I, I kind of felt like a 12-year-old a girl who got into her mother's makeup, but I did, mm -hmm. you know, my face as best I could and walked in and fully expected people to point and laugh at the man in a dress. Mm. But they were lovely. They were, they were, um, came up to me and shook my hand and asked me if mm -hmm. I like service. And I love the service because Pastor Kevin, um, he was Lutheran, but he also liked high church. And so, you know, we had the procession and all the candles and I knew all the words. And the only thing they didn't make me do was, was, um, kneel. And I could totally deal with that. Yeah. And so I fell in love with service. And they asked me if I would come back. So I kept going back. In October of 2003, I officially became a member of the ELCA. Wow. And then I was asked to be on a committee. You know, you're really part of a congregation when you're asked to be on a committee. <laughs> so I became a part of the RIC committee. Uh -huh. and, and so Reconciling of Christ was basically a pu public designation um, that you have in your welcoming statement that people of all sexual orientations um, are included in your welcoming statement. Mm -hmm. uh, I have to say that um, within a couple of years of my joining um, uh, St. Paul, the parent organization, uh, Lutherans Concerned, now known as Reconciling Works, insisted that gender identity and now gender expression are added to a welcoming statement. But back in 2000, 2003, it was just sexual orientation. Yeah. And I'd never seen that in a welcoming statement. But um, St. Paul was, uh, was reconciling in Christ, open, welcoming, and affirming since about 96 or 97. Oh, okay. And um, I was asked to be on the, 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 the committee, so I marched in pride parades with St. Paul. We went around to different congregations. Um, in the Denver metro area and all the way up into the mountains to talk about what it's like to be open, welcoming, and affirming. Mm -hmm. So it was usually a trans person, me, a gay man, a, a lesbian, someone who's bi, and uh, a member of the congregation who was cishet mm -hmm. so that um, they could go in and say um, what it was like for them to go through that discernment process. Yeah. That, no, you're not going to just be known as the gay church. And yes, a few people might leave, but you're going to get a lot of people who are going to join. Yeah. Um, and so um, I got to learn. I was telling my story all over Denver metro area. Mm -hmm. And then um, at one gathering, I was noticed by somebody from 
the Lutherans Concerned North America, the parent organization of the Reconciling in Christ movement. And before I know it, I was in Chicago. Wow. They asked, they asked um, I got a phone call and said, We're, we want leadership from your area um, to join us at a, a, uh, a meeting. And I'm like, I didn't know I was a leader, but I was said, somebody said I was one of the leaders. So I ended up in Chicago and within six months I was in um, San Francisco. And then I was elected to the board of directors of Lutherans Concern. Wow. The executive director um, took notice of me and she insisted that I get training and how to tell my story, how to present workshops, how to sit and talk with people, how to be on panels. So I was flying back to the Lutheran Holy Land, St. Paul, Minnesota, a lot, you know, two or three times a year. Um, and so I really became involved in, um, in the ELCA. Mm -hmm. And in 2009, there was a vote which um, basically came down to uh, it was a vote on their human sexuality statement that talked about all kinds of relationships. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I was really, really involved in the, in 2007, 2008, 2009, moving, mm -hmm. going into that uh, adoption of that statement. And um, I was being flown around the country to speak for Lutherans Concerned. And it was like in that time I, I was thinking, well, maybe I can go into ministry, but to be to go into ministry in the ELCA is really, really complicated. Yeah. First, you have to be entered into candidacy, and mm -hmm. then you can apply for seminary, and then go to seminary. You have to move to wherever the seminary was and do classes for two years and go any place in the country for internship, then go back and finish your last semester or two, and then you're ordained, and then the the church can put you any place. I thought that won't work. <laughs> you know, I yeah. have, a, I'm working full time. I'm going to um, school part time. And then in 2006, I'd moved in with my mother after my stepfather moved, uh, had died because I had mm -hmm. sold my house to yeah. finish my transition. I was living with a cousin and um, I was living with mama and we were, we got along really well and she was getting older. And I thought, well, I'm not going to leave my mother to yeah. fend for herself. So, and I'm doing enough. So I said no to se to seminary. And I went to um, counseling, um, work on my master's in counseling. Um, so here I was, um, as I said, working full time as a, pro a parole officer, going to school part time. And then in my free time, flying around the country to, to talk and engage with people uh, about being uh, trans in the church. Mm-hmm. And one day I'm sitting in service on a Thursday morning at 7 a.m. because my church was just down the block from my office. So I always went to Thursday morning service. And the pastor was lifting the host, saying the words of an institution, this is my body. And I knew then and there I needed to be a pastor. That was it. Wow. And so after service, I told Kevin, it's like, Kevin, I know I need to be a pastor, but there's hmm. no way I can do it. Just no way. Yeah. And he said, well, look at the Luther Seminary um, website for a program called Distributed Learning. Mm -hmm. And so being a good state employee, I went to my office and spent the first two hours looking at the website for Luther Seminary. <laughs> and yeah. it's a hybrid program where during the semesters, I could take online classes, and then twice a year, for two weeks in January and June, I would go to campus and take intensive residential courses. Mm -hmm. Talk with my sisters, talk with my mother, talk with my pastor, talk with anybody who would listen to me, and within about a month, I had applied for candidacy. Wow. And candidacy is about a four-month process. Okay. So you do your initial 25-page application with essay and get a psychological evaluation you get an initial interview with the pastor and then a secondary interview with the pastor then a final interview with four members of the candidacy committee and then they vote on it in full candidacy so to get through everything it's quite a process and honestly the church had come a long way by this was about 2012 okay 
And I thought the church had come a long way. Yeah. But there's no way they'd want a transgender Latina as a pastor. <laughs> no way. So my thought was I could apply uh -huh. and then get turned down. And then I could go on a preaching circuit about I wanted to be in ministry, but the church <laughs> said, they said, yes. Uh huh. I was like blown away. And so Luther Seminary was is probably was always seen as probably one of the more conservative of the ELCA seminaries. And today okay. it, it's the only ELCA seminary that isn't uh, reconciling in Christ. Mm -hmm. So I thought this is my out. Yeah, I, I've been accepted. But, you know, this is the only place that had a certified beginning to end MDiv program. And I thought I will go to campus so they could see me in person. Oh, yeah. And know who I am. And let them run wild into the night. Mm -hmm. I got accepted. Wow. I'm like, geez, now I got to do this. Yeah. So um, I quit my job at the state and I was doing an internship at CU Denver in their counseling program. Okay. And I thought, piece of cake. Internship, yeah. 20 hours a week. I've been in grad school. My first class, um, they only had, I only had to take one class that first semester online. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I've been in grad school already for, for, for three years. You know, you spend 12 hours a week in a grad school class, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, my gosh. The first class <laughs> was Greek. Oh, wow. And I was That's terrible at Greek. <laughs> and so that 12 hours turned into 24 and mm -hmm. then, oh, yeah, you have to travel to campus and then you got to do all your notes. So 20 hours I was easily 30 hours. Plus, I had I had other things going on. I was working 60 hours a week. Yeah, it was like the worst. But uh, I passed Greek with a B minus. Praise God. There you go. Yeah. So I got through my first semester and I graduated from CU Denver in um, May of 2014, opened a private practice and mm -hmm. I was working in Longmont, Colorado, just north of where I live as a therapist and doing field education over at a church called Mount Calvary Lutheran Church in South Boulder. Yeah. It's important I say that. Yeah. Um, because I was supposed to do field education there at Mount Calvary for one semester. Okay. I ended up staying at Mount Calvary for four semesters. Wow. And then during the summers, they hired me um, to provide pastoral care and supply preaching. So I was at Mount Calvary for two years. And so I got to know the people so, so well. And then I had to leave for a semester uh, to do my formal internship at a, a Holy Trinity Lutheran in Littleton, Colorado. Okay. When I finished my formal internship, I ended up going back to Ho Mount Calvary uh -huh. and hired as a director of congregational care Okay. Uh, with the idea that as soon as I finish all my process for seminary, because there's the final, getting right. final grades, and then you have to go through an improvement, and then you have to go through assignment. So it would be about six or eight months. So the idea was I would go back and be hired as a director of congregational care. And mm -hmm. the hope was that I would be called as uh, the pastor of congregational care yeah. uh, at Mount Calvary. But what had happened while I was at internship is they ended up selling the property oh. for a, a variety of reasons. They sold the property and the property um, was going to be developed into affordable senior housing by Boulder Housing Authority. But unfortunately, they didn't have the um, Boulder, C Boulder Housing Authority didn't have the money in the bank to start construction right away. Oh. So they told the people at Mount Calvary, well, you have time. So we're going to go ahead and just lease you this property for up to 10 years. Mm -hmm. And when we get close to uh, getting to the point where we start construction, then we'll give you plenty of lead time and then yeah. you can decide what you're going to do. So I thought, well, I get hired and have my first call there as an associate pastor. Mm -hmm. And... Um, after two or three years, then I can search for another call because it would work mm -hmm. out perfectly. Yeah. Well, things got pushed up really quick and they decided, well, we we better vacate sooner than later because people were starting to leave. Yeah, that happened. And so, and so it got to the point, a couple of things, we had some money in the bank, a significant amount of money in the bank. Mm -hmm. And it got to the point where 
there was no place really to move. Um, Boulder County, Colorado, it's, you got to have a couple couple pennies, and you know, you, you, we could buy the property, but we would end up in like a million dollars in debt if we built something. Yeah, um, yeah. There was nothing available at the time, so it was pretty much decided at the end of um, what is twenty. 19 about the middle of 2019 early 2019 that people were just going to they were going to close mount calvary and then everybody moved to other congregations within the boulder area okay and then a piece of property on the edge of boulder which was um owned by the seventh day baptist church okay came up for sale million and a half dollars mm-hmm. setting on five acres it had a church building and a parsonage I mean, the one of the reasons why it was so, excuse me, a million and a half is cheap, and it is kind of for Boulder. Yeah, relatively uh, for Boulder, yeah. Um, it was and because it, I was going to say, I've driven by that location many times, and it's a nice spot. It really is. But it w- was on septic system and oh, well water. Yeah. And okay. um, so that was, and, um, and so that, and so people got together and just like, well, we should buy this property and we should try um, doing, doing something different. Mm-hmm. So with the synod and the people, they decided they'd be a mission development church. In church language, we're a synod authorized worshiping community. <laughs> That's a mouthful, right? Yeah. So it's a SOC, S-A-W-C. We're a SOC. S-A-W-C. That's and helpful. So, and so... Um, they went ahead and started um, everything to, to buy the property, mm-hmm. got with the church and decided they were going to be a sock. And then um, I was approached and asked if I would be a uh, be the pastor. I'm like, I can't. I'm not a mission development pastor. You need a mission development pastor because mission development pastors get additional education and training. Uh-huh. And plus, I'm a first call pastor. Okay. Yeah. Um, so... I thought there's just no way it's going to happen. And then, so after I was assigned to Region 2, um, which where, where I live here in, in Boulder, um, I went in and talked to the bishop about possibilities of a first call in um, the area. And there were several possibilities. We chit-chatted about Mount Calvary, but it was a mission church. And the, the director of Evangelical Mission, um, the DEM who who supervises all the uh, mission churches in in the synod came in and just sat down. He was new, and I thought mm-hmm. we were just gonna have a nice conversation. And about two weeks later, I get a phone call from from the DEM again. Mm-hmm. We have a nice conversation for about forty five minutes, and he said, "Okay, I'm going to go ahead and write your letter of recommendation." Wow! I'm like, oh, oh, good. For what? <laughs> oh, well, well, the bishop has already written his. Oh, good. For what? Oh, so you can be interv- get the interview to be a mission developer. Oh, wow. good. Why am I going to be a mission developer? Yeah. Well, the people of Mount Calvary have been calling us and um, insisting that you be their pastor. So the bishop said, go ahead and have, have me go through the process. Wow. I'm like, okay. Yeah. So um, two weeks after that, I spend four and a half hours on a Zoom call. And this was before any of the pandemic. This was in, you know, middle of 2019 before zoom was a thing (laughs) and i had learned how to do zoom yeah yeah so i spent four and a half hours on a call just just talking and um two weeks later i get a letter um in the mail um saying i was approved to be a mission developer and Mm -hmm. that i was going to go to baltimore two weeks later wow so I ended up in Baltimore and um, took classes in Baltimore and then came back and um, went to a meeting and told, well, the city council has decided that uh, if the people of Mount Calvary want me to be the pastor of the new church, they wouldn't stand in the way. Okay. So on September 17th, I was issued my call. September of 2019 then? September of 2019, I was issued my call and actually... Today we're recording on November twenty third. Yeah, I heard this from Shay actually. This is this is the uh, 
today is the anniversary of my ordination. Yeah, congratulations. Thank you. So um, December 1st of, of 2019, we had our first service at Westview. And we decided to call it Westview. For, for a long time, we called it New Church. Yeah. And then we went through a process. So people were, you know, putting in names in, in the right, box. And, right, You know, the spirit of love, Calvary, the yeah. Mount, the spirit yeah. of joy, the spirit of hope. No, no, no. We had about 30 different names, none of which got more than two or three votes. Mm -hmm. And we got to the point where we had to put in the formal paperwork. Okay. And we just couldn't put new church on yeah. the formal paperwork. And so somebody at a meeting said, well, why don't we just call it Westview? Because we sit on Westview Drive and we have a uh -huh. beautiful Westview of the mountains. Yeah, that's and Everybody's good. like, yeah, yeah, that works. So Westview Church um, was going to be our temporary name. And mm -hmm. we decided not to call it Westview Lutheran Church. Because there's just been this argument up and down and all around yeah, yeah. whether or not we should put denominational names in the church name. Yep. So um, I we reasoned that it's easier to add than it is to take away. That is true. <laughs> that is true. So we thought we're going to try Westview Church. And if yep. we get a lot of pushback and people want to add Lutheran, we certainly can. And if we want to change the name, we certainly can. But right now... Um, that was actually within a, about a month ago. We're talking about it because we have to put up a new a new sign because the, the the temporary sign we put up is, is in tatters. <laughs> yeah, with Colorado so, wind, I believe it. So um, we had a discussion, and we're like, we, we've been branded at Westview Church. That's how people know us. Yeah, and so we're going to stick with Westview Church because it's working. So. Um, in this past year, things started off fairly well. One of mm -hmm. the things I really wanted to create at Westview is um, we have we have a large area on this on the lower level, large mm -hmm. meeting area and eight classrooms. Okay. And I wanted to create a community organizing center. Oh yeah. And so I have deep roots in, in Boulder and we were starting to get, pull things together. And then you know, starting in December wasn't the best time because all the people I know in nonprofits are fundraising in December. Yeah, yeah. And so we waited and got through December because I nobody had time to come look. And January, things were starting to move along. We started hosting some things in January and February and then we shut down. Then March came. Yeah. Reared its ugly head. But I was positive. Yeah. Absolutely positive we, we would be back for Easter. Oh, yeah. I was the same way. I was like, we're going to take two weeks off and we'll be back. Mm-hmm. So um, what we've done is um, gone online. Yeah. So we're live streaming on Sunday mornings. If you go to westviewboulder.org, um, at the center of our, our homepage is a Twitch TV uh, link. Mm -hmm. So we're live streaming using Twitch TV. Um, have a great pianist, a great uh, vocalist, and um, the three of us, plus um, uh, AJ, who sits back in our, our booth, who's our mm -hmm. AV ninja. Yeah. We, we live stream on Sunday mornings, and we do uh, performances on Wednesday evening. Uh -huh. So that's how we're keeping things going. Awesome. Uh, I'm curious. Uh, what what was the if if you could point to like one thing that was like why you felt called to this church? What would it be? Was the fact that we are we don't want to be a typical Lutheran church. Mm. And what I've said from the beginning, when when people started approaching me about being the pastor. Uh, I'm like, there are some really great Lutheran churches in Boulder. Yeah. We just don't need another Lutheran church. Yeah. What we need is some place where people will be welcomed. They will be, um, and, and, and I have to say so much of the time, why can't we say all are welcome? Yeah. Because especially in the LGBTQ community, there's a little asterisk afterwards mm -hmm. that says, 
you all are welcome as long as you want to be just like us. Mm. And so my goal and what I hope that I'm doing is that when people come here, they're seen for who they are and their gifts and talents are valued. And mm -hmm. how can they become, um, how can they help us change so that we can meet their needs? Mm and meet our needs and yeah. when you get a device a diverse group of people together i'm i'm confident that we will have a church that will not meet every need but at least be a place where your voice will be heard yeah. and you will be asked to be on a committee <laughs> tell me about um i'm curious listening to the story there was this transition from mount calvary to becoming westview i'm curious like what if any uh, but I imagine there's been some transition or growth parent, growth pains that you've experienced or the church has experienced. Mm -hmm. Oh, most definitely. And um, there was a lot of discussion about what is going to be coming, what physical objects are coming from Mount Calvary over to Westview. Yeah. I wanted to have stained glass windows come over here. We want to make sure that the memory stone, the stone with that has um, a rather large piece of, of stone, probably four feet high, three feet wide, that has the names of people who have passed. Um, so the memory stone had to come over. Um, and, you know, they brought in a U-Haul full of stuff. Wow. Yeah. And so a big part of it is, you know, I think people were loading it because it had a lot of sentimental value. Yeah. But is it going to be Mount Calvary or are we going to be Westview? Yeah. Um, and so with the stained glass, uh, we realized where we wanted to put it. We didn't want to pay $50,000 to blow holes into the brick wall. Yeah. <laughs> to put in That's windows. not cheap. So we ended up um, contracting with a company to build a framework. And we had a new centerpiece created just for Westview with the other pieces of stained glass um, oh, cool. from, from Mount Calvary. And then it's backlit. So oh, yeah. parts, parts of Mount Calvary are there. And then, but there's a, a new center cross that is Westview. And honestly, when I do um, preaching or teaching for other uh, congregations or synods, I use that as my backdrop. And so I'm hoping that people are associating that stained glass background with Westview and with me. Yeah. And we still have the plaque on the wall that says who donated money to create sure. that stained glass because that's important. Yeah. Um, but I think the greatest growing pains are the fact that some people would like to have, have us do things the way Mount Calvary did things. Yeah when we're really truly Westview. Yeah. And so, yeah, there has been some growing pains and, and kind of making that switch and making that change. And uh, I do service differently. We have, um, I was fortunate in that staff did come over with me. Mm -hmm. Beth is our church administrator. Anna's, um, she was our choir director and still directs choir, but she's our primary vocalist now and Walt on the keyboard. So they're over they're over here at Westview with me, but they're brilliant and they've worked so hard to make this work. Awesome. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, I can only imagine that challenge that, you know, <laughs> it's funny you described the U-Haul full of stuff and I moved somewhat recently and, and I can only imagine there's that internal conversation about what do we keep and, and what do we get rid of? And, and there's so many memories attached to stuff, especially how long was Mount Calvary in existence, or at least over there? Well, the building was built in 1958. Okay. And so um, Mount Calvary can trace its way back to the original uh, Augustana Synod, the, the Swedish Lutheran church uh -huh. that was um, formed in 1888. Wow. Um, and then it renamed itself and moved to another building in 1932, and it was First Lutheran, and then it moved to South Boulder mm -hmm. um, in 1958 and renamed Mount Calvary. And one of the issues they had is when, when Mount Calvary was built, it was the only building on top of the hill on the west side of the road. Interesting. Only building. 
and then as Boulder developed, the road moved a little bit farther east and um, housing developments went up and around Mount Calvary. Uh-huh. So you had to know where it was. You couldn't yeah. see it from any street. Yeah. And it had uh, its own little drive up from a road that came off another major road. So you had to know precisely where it was yeah. um, in order to find it. So I think that contributed to the fact that people um, it was easier to find one of the other Lutheran churches that are on main roads in Boulder. Yeah. So Mount Calvary kind of got overlooked. Yeah. So you've been, so you're celebrating a year here then in December, if I heard that right, Ben. Yes. And yes. wow, what a year for a new, for a new church, I guess we might say, right? Yes, definitely. Um, so what we're doing now is now that we've been here for a year, I'm convening a, a group of um, people, I think about six of us together mm-hmm. to do a, um, to talk about mission and vision. So we're going to yeah. be rewriting and relooking at our mission and vision statements um, and decide whether or not we want to have a permanent online presence. Yeah. Because um, right now we find that there are people who just like, like having online church on Sunday mornings. Yep. Um, there we have people, one of the congregation members who, whose son lives down in Bolivia, he asked to join the church a few months ago. So I have an international audience. It's it's Al Allen down in Bolivia, but Alan watches every Sunday. Um, some of the um, kids who have gone off to college are, are watching um, in, in, in Montana and other places. Um, so we're hoping that we can continue to grow um, as an online church mm-hmm. and then also uh, grow as a um, in-person church when we can get back together yeah. next next Easter. That's fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Yes, definitely. definitely. You are more hopeful than I, I will say, Nicole. So, <laughs> so we're looking, how do we, how do we establish ourselves as an online nationwide church? Yeah. Um, what do we have to do? How do we get there? Um, I think we can create the programming, but how do we market ourselves? Mm-hmm. And, you know, there are a lot of conservative Christian churches who have done really well online. Really well. The Catholic Church has been on TV for, you know, Mama is still, still Catholic and she watches EWTN every day. She watches Catholic Mass every day. They have a strong presence. But I don't know of um, a progressive Christian church that has a significant presence online. Yeah, it's a it's a niche that has not been developed, I guess we might say. Yeah, and I'm so thrilled to be ch- talking with you today. Well, it's a little niche I'm trying to develop, I guess we might say. <laughs> yeah, and so how do we as, and I consider myself a progressive Christian, yeah. although my theology, I'm an Orthodox Lutheran, mm-hmm. um, but when people you know identify me i'm I'm identified as uh, a member of the progressive christian church yeah and i I wear that that label proudly and so how do we as the progressive christian church break out and break into online worship yeah and because there's so many people throughout the country who live in the red states who need to hear the words. I get emails and texts all the time from people asking me if, um, you know, did God make a mistake? Wow. Will I be going to hell? Yeah. Um, because that's the message that they hear in their conservative Christian churches. And I'm here to tell them you're not going to hell. God loves you because God created you just as you are. The yeah. hard part is accepting that and yeah. finding and using your gifts and talents to the glory of God. Yeah, And so how do we, Lauren, how do we keep reaching out and utilize the microphones and the internet to reach into people's homes and tell them that they are loved by God? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's so that's what I'm working at and trying to figure out how do we do that and how do we do that together? Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Well, let's uh, let's take a quick break and come back for some closing questions. It's not like we haven't all said it enough lately. These are unprecedented times. 
COVID-19 has upended the way we do life, community, and church. As church leaders, we find ourselves disoriented. Outreach, connection, cultivating a sense of team among church staff and creatives, nothing works like it did before. Torn Curtain Arts gets it, and we're here to help. We strengthen the creative soul of churches. It's why we exist. And in these times, we have dedicated ourselves to helping churches set up live streaming solutions and assisting with live events. We also provide coaching for worship leaders as well as substitute worship leading for both in-person and online events. Contact us at torncurtainarts.org and let's chat about how we can keep you connected to your creativity in this season and grow your community. All right, we're back with Reverend Nicole Garcia. And uh, Nicole, you can take these, I always tell folks, you can take these closing questions as seriously or not as you'd like to. So if you're a Pope for a day, any, uh, what would that day look like? What would you want to do? Stuff like that. Well, to be honest, I would look, I would look great in that beautiful white silk dress the Pope wears. Love it. Um, you can't see me. I have, I have gray, I have white hair. Yeah. Just bright white hair. So it would look great in there. And uh -huh. I've always, uh, you know, Pope Francis, um, is very Lutheran. Mm. in his outlook interesting he he, he has talked about uh, a lot of the things that um and the issues that i have with the church mm -hmm. um, i became lutheran because i objected to the hierarchy of the church yeah the, the elca is much more of a horizontal um, structure yeah where all the power belongs in the pews mm -hmm. with the people um each of our um, congregations calls a pastor. We're not appointed. We're called by the Congress. Well, I should say I'm appointed by the Synod Council because mm -hmm. we're a sock, but, yeah. um, but pastors are, are typically called by the congregations. Bishops are elected from the pool of pastors um, to run for six year terms. Mm -hmm. And the presiding bishop is elected out of the pool of bishops for a term of six years. So no one gets anything appointed for life. Yeah. Everything depends on the will of the people. And my bishop can strongly recommend anything the bishop wants to recommend, mm -hmm. but I will do what my congregation asked me to do. Yeah. I'm, tr I'm thrilled that my congregation believes in science <laughs> and that um, we are uh, not having in-person services because of the raise, the rise yeah, in the, yeah. the positivity po positivity rate in Boulder County. So, um, we're, we're, anybody comes here, you have to wear a mask. Yeah, and I do live communion because I live stream, and that's what I want. And the bishop has to go along with it. And I and I, I, I take this stance uh, because I believe in communion, and I want to have communion every week. Mm -hmm. um, so back to your question, what would I do as Pope? Um, I think I would push harder than Pope Francis does. I know he has a, a lot of people who um, would rather he be gone because he's much more, quote unquote, liberal than Pope John Paul II was. Yeah. But I would, I would push even farther um, hmm. and a lot harder. Good. I truly believe that all God's children, LGBTQ+, plus, um, whatever race or ethnicity you are, you are loved by God, and you should be, you are included in uh, the kingdom of God. Awesome. You're the second person I've had mention the outfit, so I like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, talk about uh, a historical figure or theologian, Christian figure you'd want to meet or bring back to life. Well, uh, I, I'm a postulant in the order of Lutheran Franciscans. Okay. And so Franz, I, what attracts me to St. Francis and to St. Clair is the fact that they weren't trained to be priests or nuns or monks. They took it as a calling upon themselves because they heard uh, the word of God. Oh, yeah. And they didn't... So they weren't trained in orthodoxy. How do how do we how do we live into the set of beliefs uh, about God? But rather, they were more attuned to orthopraxis. How do we live out the Word of God? So yeah. rather than 
cloistering themselves in, you know, a, a, a convent or a monastery. They lived out in the world and lived um, how God called them to live. And um, I don't know if I would want to meet or bring back St. Francis, uh, because from everything I heard, he was pretty stubborn about everything. <laughs> <laughs> he, when he Once he set his mind to something, that was it. You can change his mind. And he drove a lot of people kind of bonkers. But the Good. example that he set yeah. was um, really what I see, um, how I want to frame my life of taking a vow of poverty, chastity, and obedience. Uh, poverty doesn't mean that you don't... Um, live comfortably, but rather than loving money, how do I use the income that I have? Yeah, um, I do my best um, to give 20% of my uh, salary. I give 15% to my church and then um, another really 5% good. I I give to uh, various um, other organizations belong to. I have three dear friends, four uh -huh. that I support on Patreon every month who are a PhD student. Uh, somebody who's doing uh, a lot of writing, um, and then um, uh, somebody who is an artist, mm -hmm. a musical artist. I mean, she's incredible. So I believe, and another person who is uh, another author, Amber. So four people that I like to give money to every month because I think it's important to um, help support people who are trying to create um, music and and books and poetry and um in, in the areas that I truly believe in. Awesome. Uh, what do you think history will remember from this current time and place that we're in? Oof -da. Yeah, yeah, it's a loaded question. So <laughs> it, it really is because it depends on which side of history we're going to come out upon. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, a there great point. are, um, there, there are people who I think are not going to come out on a very good side of history. Yeah. And, I, you know, as a progressive Christian, yes, um, I believe in more. I tend to lean towards the left side of the political spectrum. Mm -hmm. So um, I'm just going to say, it, you know, the white supremacists, the Nazis, the um, white nationalists, I think they're going to come out on the wrong side of history. Yeah. I truly believe that. And a lot depends on how the church and, you know, the little C church, how we as yep. a yep. Christian community can come out and help the people that are going to need help. Because I think we're just at the very beginning mm. of what people are going to need. I am terrified that the um, unemployment rates and for as long as it's gone is going to lead to massive uh, homelessness. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm saying, let's talk about something. Let's end on something more hopeful than that. <laughs> what do you hope for for the future of Christianity? Well, I, I hope that really we really do start listening to the true message of Jesus Christ. Yeah. And the one thing that I see so many times is that people get stuck in the law and get stuck in dogma. And what do we have to do in order to be saved? Mm -hmm. um, so their religion is helping them to die. Oh, that's a great when point. When I die, am I going to go to heaven? What Jesus was telling us was what we need to do is establish the kingdom of God here. Mm -hmm. And to do that, one, we love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, and soul. Two, learn to love love yourself. Yeah. Accept it yourself for who you are and live into the gifts and talents that God gave us. Yeah. Um, it was a dark, dark day when I realized I don't know everything. <laughs> yeah. But what I have realized is that God has put people in my life who do know things. Mm -hmm. And so really my gift and talent is one, I can talk a lot. Two, I help people talk. I'm a very good listener and, mm -hmm. you know, some a lot of training and counseling and help people figure out who they are and what gifts and talents that they have and then help them nurture those talents. Um, awesome. and so I, I, I'm really good at bringing people together and the hard part is, is loving your neighbor. Yeah. And, and the, and the hardest part is loving the people that you don't like, who don't like you. Um, loving your enemies is just incredibly difficult, but 
once we learn how to do that, once we learn and figure out how to bring us back together as humanity and, and have tolerance and compassion and mercy and forgiveness, yeah. then we will be living in the kingdom of God here on earth. Awesome. Well, uh, where can folks find out more about you? Well, you can come to uh, my church website, yeah. westviewboulder.org. And if you want to, I was happen, happened to be looking, I did a um, biography and a recording a few years ago for the LGBTQ Religious Archives Network. Mm -hmm. So if you go to lgbtqreligiousarchives.org and look under the profiles, um, you will find my um, biography. So if you want a more in-depth biography, although I said an awful lot, <laughs> you can find it there. Well, great, um, great. But primarily, I'm at um, westviewboulder.org. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time, and uh, please be safe during this crazy time we're in. Uh, really scary in so many ways. So, and uh, and and I mean this that I say it. May God's peace be with you. Thank you, Lauren, and peace of Christ be with you as well. Thanks for joining us on the Future Christian Podcast. To learn more about Lauren or the podcast, visit future-christian.com. But hey, before you go, do us a favor. Subscribe to the podcast and leave a review. It really helps us get the word out to more people. Thanks, and go in peace.